Welcome to Football with Grant Wall, special U.S. Women's National Team Olympics edition with my co-host, Christine Kupo. Thanks so much for joining us. The U.S. has just lost to Sweden 3-0. That's not a misprint today to start the Olympic soccer tournament. Christine, it is now 6.50 a.m. in New York City. How are you doing after that result? I am confounded. I am upset. I am less sleepy. Um, we're offended. Uh, it's it's been a rough go. This was not what I first saw ever happening in this universe this morning. So well, let's talk about it. We'll get to some mailbag questions from people on Twitter. A lot of uh, bewildered slash angry folks out there right now. And you know, like let's put some things in perspective about how surprising this was coming into this game the u.s had an unbeaten streak lasting two and a half years 44 games and vladko andonovsky the coach had not lost a game since taking over he'd gone 23 games with 22 wins and a draw against sweden that draw by the way and vladko had a 79 to 4 goal difference in his tenure as the u.s women's national team coach then he gets to a major tournament and they lose 3-0 in the first game. Uh, all is not lost. Obviously, it's a group stage and the U.S. can even finish second or third in the group and still advance. But just a horrible, horrible start. From a soccer perspective, as you were watching this game, what, what did you see? What happened? I don't know if we thought it was a, like a big, JK, just kidding, we're not really playing or, or what transpired. I still can't figure it out. It just seemed like Sweden came out strong. And they never once let up, which respect to them, we kind of knew this, um, or at least I suspected it a bit just after the last 2016 Olympics, <laughs> not, not a great experience for the U.S. women's national team, but I thought it would be more of a uh, learning activity whereby we might come in today a bit stronger, especially with a veteran team. And I, I don't know what transpired, but they certainly were pressing and they came for the flanks and Crystal Dunn saw a lot of 2v1s and same thing with O'Hara, uh, a little bit of confusion in the middle um, and we never shook that out. So I, what happened was deserved, but uh, still painful. I've had so much coffee at this point, Christine, that without any other things to enter my system. I'm about to throw up, I think, but I'm not sure if that's actually connected to the game as well. The crazy thing is this could have been more than three nil. Like Sweden had a bunch of chances in the first half, especially that they didn't convert. US did hit the woodwork twice. Uh, Kristen Press somehow didn't finish in front of an open goal. Uh, and in the first half late, post. we had Tobin Heath early on trying to do some work back there. That still would have been offside. Uh, yeah, no, I would, I counted at least five for Sweden if things would have been <laughs> to their plan, which is, uh, not the most settling feeling for the U S women's team going into the Olympics. Like, come on, man, we haven't even made it through the opening ceremony yet. Like what <laughs> help? Yeah. It, it's funny. Cause Behind you, uh, as we're talking here, you have balloons that say oof, which I think is a pretty accurate description of what happened here. If we're being on the bright side of things, I would compare this 
and U.S. fans have to hope this compares to the 2008 Olympics where the U.S. lost its first game to Norway, came back to win the gold medal, and yet I was in the stadium in China that day, and the performance in that game was not nearly as bad as the performance in this game by the United States. Um, and especially in the midfield, the U.S. was totally overrun the first half Julie Ertz comes on the second half. Do you think it was better, any better in the second half, or was it just as bad? Um, I think that Julie always makes a noticeable impact. So, yes, it was better. It was just surprising that um, Flacco pulled uh, Mewis instead of Lindsay, which I think is a huge question everybody kind of had. And I still, given the trajectory when uh, sort of, Alex Morgan came off and Rapino came on. Um, there, there were some differences, but not quite the impact you'd expect. Also, with Morgan being pulled earlier than would be typical, it was kind of like what it I didn't really fault her too much because in terms of possession, it was allegedly <laughs> fairly matched, but that wasn't what we were seeing, right? Like the numbers weren't weren't really reflecting what was happening on field. The passing was sloppy um, defending shoddy. Um, I mean, even on Crystal Dunn's side on that left, like Dahl Kemper needed to kind of fill up more gaps than she did. But, um, I, I don't, I don't think that those substitutions made a huge impact, certainly some, um, and it, it was reflected in, in the overall ending score. So disappointing but hopefully they use it for something more than just dragging ourselves a lifeless corpse through the rest of this tournament um i'm like wow man like i i i didn't sleep you guys should not be sleeping while you're playing i don't i don't know i don't know what happened i'm i'm upset i really and early on i kind of thought hey like i don't think that we typically do well or are used to having to come from behind like that. But when you get to like two nil and we're not firing on all pistons and it's, there's no real glimmer. Yeah. That third goal was coming. And quite frankly, we probably would have seen um, a hat trick <laughs> from, from black if she hadn't had that like little bit of, it looked like a head injury. So yeah. I hope she's okay, but um, certainly a threat this whole entire game while she was in. Yeah, Blackstanias is the same player who scored against the U.S. in the 2016 Olympics in which Sweden eliminated the U.S. on penalties. Totally different style, though, from Sweden today compared to that game. That was just a sit-and-counter game from Sweden in 2016 to the point that Hope Solo called them cowards after the game, as you might recall. <laughs> this game, Sweden played good soccer, you know? It wasn't just they a sit-back-and-counter type thing. They played their own game. Yeah, I, they looked good. I You can't say anything bad about them. I would love to, but uh, they did what they came to do, and they knew that they had a lot to prove. Um, with the U.S. being favorites, I think that, I mean... Oh, this is going to be interesting. I hope this was a one-off blip. You're right. 2008, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to some questions here. We got a lot from uh, listeners, followers on Twitter. H. Jose Bosch writes, Dear Grant and Christine, what the actual fuck? Question mark. 
<laughs> Signed a tired Jose. Uh, what do we say to that? I think perhaps we start doing morning mimosas or maybe we have to start drinking in the morning. It should be like full on regular season premier league. Um, yeah. I suggest alcohol, maybe just in the beginning of the next match. This little Thank thing. you. Thank you, Jose, for uh, getting the explicit in our uh, podcast warning here. Uh, much appreciated there. And actually it's, it's actually the, a, a, a solid question, I think. This is just such a stunning result and performance that I think people are sort of flabbergasted right now. Next question from Emily, oh, from Hallie is, does Vladko change the starting 11 for the next game against New Zealand? Do any alternates swap into the 18? Will I ever forgive them for waking up at 2.30 a.m. to watch this? <laughs> um... I I don't know. I mean, obviously he's probably going to make a few changes, but New Zealand aren't Sweden. So I'm a little bit less worried about, you know, a whole mess of changes happening. I think that now would be a good time to figure out um, the Juilliard's utilization. Um, Tobin Heath was another one that they were saying, oh yeah, like her injuries, et cetera. But, you know, she's been looking good. She didn't look terrible today, but also what are we comparing that to contextually? So um, it'd be nice to see um, some of those players get some rest and figure out like when when we actually need them to use them as impact players. But um, yeah, I less concerned about New Zealand, although maybe I should be more concerned given what <laughs> we've just watched. I haven't it hasn't really fully nestled into the parts of my brain. Um, I think that it's got some buoyancy in there, given the amount of cold brew I've actually <laughs> So maybe in a few hours I'll feel differently, but um, right now I'm not too plus about, you know, New Zealand. Let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Verna Law, a boutique law firm in intellectual property, including patents, trademarks, and copyrights. Verna Law's clients are largely small businesses and startups, and they focus on all aspects of intellectual property from protecting brands to inventions to artistic works. Verna Law's managing partner, Anthony Verna, is also the host of the Law and Business podcast, which you should definitely check out, with more than 60 episodes interviewing a wide variety of intriguing figures about intellectual property, copyrights, startups, and much more. You can find Anthony Verna on Twitter at Law, where he also tweets about soccer, by the way, or go to the website vernalaw.com. Thank you very much to Verna Law for sponsoring this episode. It's kind of wild because New Zealand has always been seen as not that difficult an opponent for the U.S., but they have some decent players like Ali Riley. Uh, Tom Sermani, uh, the former U.S. coach, is the coach of New Zealand. I'm sure he'll be plenty motivated. And, and they'll have obviously seen this game against Sweden and realized that the U.S. is beatable. Uh, in this tournament. I, I guess one of my big questions for the U.S. is against a good opponent like Sweden, Haran isn't a six. She's not a defensive midfielder. Um, and it does make you wonder why Andy Sullivan, a natural defensive midfielder, wasn't at least brought 
to be Ertz's backup because we don't know how many minutes Ertz can actually play given her fitness. That What they said on the broadcast was like maybe 30 to 45. She did 45 today. She got through it and she was decent. She was an upgrade. Um, but there's going to be real questions starting now of Andonovsky about not bringing Sullivan. Um, that midfield was overrun. And why didn't Sam Mewis stay in the game? Why did Haran stay in the game at halftime when she was having kind of a stinker? And Mewis has been the U.S.'s best player for most of this year. ESPN recently had a poll where she was voted the top player in the world in the women's game. She wasn't great in the first half. Most everyone that U.S. midfield was invisible, but there's some real questioning that can be done here. Yeah, I think that um, if things don't pan out in our favor, um, there'll be an entirely different story, right? Like this will look like a stain um, for Vlaco um, in terms of his just selection for this tournament. And also, you know, why not Sullivan? All those questions will get louder. Um, we know how this goes. Um, I don't really know what the logic was behind um, what he did today or all in why, why Sullivan wasn't included um, in this go around selection, but, um, if it works out, you know, he'll end up looking brilliant and we'll say, oh, that was just a blip, which I don't think it's fully explainable even right now. Um, what happened today, because the team that we just saw was not our U S women's national team. I, I don't recognize any of that, um, in, in any way. And yes, we do rely a lot on veteran players, but, I shouldn't be praying by the second half that Carly, who's freshly 39 years old, is going to swoop in with heroics and, and fix everything. So, yeah. I. <laughs> <laughs> You're still processing this, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I really. <laughs> this is going to be like so perplexing. It's going to ruin my whole day. This wasn't how this was supposed to go. This wasn't like I was supposed to be like all skipping through my living room. Um, annoying my neighbors with like, you know, laughter and, and joy, not them listening to me stomp around and pout like a five-year-old, which it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> um, question here from Jennifer Cole. Is this the worst you have seen the U.S. women's national team play? Christine? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you already like, okay, so <laughs> they were on a 44 match unbeaten streak. The second longest streak for that team this is bad <laughs> yeah i mean the comparison i would make i haven't seen the u.s play this poorly in a major tournament the u.s women since the loss to brazil in the 2007 world cup semifinals the four nil which was the worst loss in the program's entire history um that was obviously an elimination game so that felt different in a sense and the u.s does have the possibility to make up for this group stage loss but like that's how bad this game was like and major tournament games are so much more important than friendlies against mexico which the u.s had two of leading into this tournament you do wish that the u.s had had maybe some better competition no disrespect to mexico uh, before this game. And they had gone to Europe and played against Sweden and, and tied them in a friendly a couple of months ago. Um, 
but this kind of came out of nowhere and I'm, I'm very interested from a media perspective how this is going to go in the next few days. You know, they only have two off days before they play on Saturday against New Zealand. It might help some of the COVID protocols here because the players aren't going to have to deal with media questions in person over the next couple of days. And this isn't like a 98 men's U.S. World Cup situation where there was a mutiny and, and all this criticism from the players in the media afterward and things just totally broke down. But I am curious to see what is said by some of the veteran U.S. players over the next couple of days publicly. Yeah, I would love to know what what actually contributed to this because I really, I can't make it make sense because even the individual performances, like, okay, maybe you're all having a collective weird day where things aren't really working as a whole, but there was just some just unexpected. I mean, that second goal was just really like you left a player unmarked on the back post, which is a fundamental. (laughs) So uh, it just, is there a communication issue? Is, is there something that we've entirely missed? So yeah, it would be really interesting to hear from some of those players, um, how they're feeling or, or what they think is actually going awry. Um, I'm sure that the rest of the day will be an interesting, um, bit of news just spilling out as people start to get sort of comments from from Vlaco and otherwise. But yeah, it, it's going to be a lot to digest over the next two days to bounce back for New Zealand. But let's hope that um, whatever needs to happen or whatever fixes need to be made are one fixable, but can be. Um, I think in terms of managing personnel, um, that'll be one of the bigger threats to our success going forward. But I don't know. I'm going to burn sage and the oof balloon and hope for the best. I, I don't know. I'm like, did I do this? Did I do this with my balloon? Oh. I, I mean, Megan Rapino didn't start. It's interesting. My reaction when I saw the lineup was uh, Rapino's not in. Here's the, the Ballon d'Or winner from 2019, top player from that World Cup. Tobin Heath, who just came back from injury, starts in her place. And Heath had looked good in the two friendlies before the Olympics, but it's not like she had started. That's a that's a different thing to unseat Megan Rapino. And then Kristen Press had been the US's best attacker for yeah. a while now. Like heading 37 into this goals in 37 international games, something like that. Like- Which is crazy. And yet I will say this, Press is a terrific player, but one of the sort of question marks about her over the years, at least under Jill Ellis, was that she, when the major tournaments hit, she wasn't quite as good or she overthought things. She dispelled a little bit of that, I think, in the World Cup in 2019 when she scored in the semifinal against England in that game she started. But those questions are going to come up two now and so I feel like though with that um and maybe this is just my opinion now having been clouded by a lot of the um post Jalelis sort of commentary and um things that some of the players divulged about you know sort of playing in spite of her rather than for her um how much of that was sort of a contributor to some of their success but also some of their failings 
And so, I don't know, I feel like I give them a little bit more slack, especially sort of Kristen Press. Um, she's an amazing player. So, um, I mean, they all are. We, you don't arrive where we've been um, without them being outstanding in every way. But um, I, just, I just want my good U.S. Women's National Team back. <laughs> <laughs> Before we sign off, I did want to give listeners just a, an idea of kind of like, who are these people? So like, Christine, you were on a, a podcast episode recently. I did interview you. But for any listeners who weren't listening to that podcast episode, what's your soccer story? So uh, the quick and dirty of it is I have been around New York soccer uh, for 10 plus years. I ran a pickup group that was fairly large, have basically met everyone that's breathed near a field in the city and made lots and lots of friends. Um, I have a strategy um, and branding marketing background. I also have a cookie pop-up that's soccer specific, and I basically tuck and roll into literally everything else. Um, huge fan of uh, Syria and also Premier League. I am on the Eventibus Twitch channel doing their English language show, uh, JB World, regularly. Um, so that's kind of my my usual bag. And otherwise, you can catch me just screaming at Arsenal matches on the TV in uh, absolute despair. I look forward to continuing that um, in the upcoming season. <laughs> Arsenal, which just canceled its trip to the U.S. this uh, week due to COVID stuff, um, which is a bummer, obviously, with all the stuff going on. Uh, where can we find you on social? So social, Twitter, um, I'm at C. Kupo, and then on Instagram, I'm uh, at Miss Kupo, M-I-S-S-C-U-P-O. Um, and I am otherwise fairly boring on um, TikTok, but I'm on there, I'm usually lurking in the shadows. Um, same thing at Miss Kupo. Um, it's interesting for me because I'm watching this Olympics for the first time. Uh, I'm not covering a Summer Olympics on site literally since 1992, which is wild. It makes me feel very old. Um, in 1996, I was an intern at the Miami Herald when Miami was hosting men's and women's Olympic games. That's actually the first time I ever covered the U.S. women's national team. They played a couple games in Miami. Um, and so I've been covering Olympics ever since. And, and it's been, it's really an interesting tournament, especially on the women's side, because it's the same top players that you see in the World Cup. And so this is a, a legit senior world championship in a way that it's not for the men. Um, and yet there's been some fun sort of random Olympic stories I've covered on site over the years. I can remember in 2004 in front of, in Greece in about, there were about like, I don't know, a hundred people in the stands. Cristiano Ronaldo was on the field against, for Portugal at the Olympics against Iraq and lost the opening game. And like, it was just the most random thing ever because Ronaldo had just played a couple of weeks earlier in the Euro in Portugal where they lost in the final and he was very different looking even then than he is now uh, and that Iraq team became an amazing story because they got deep in that tournament at the time of the Iraq war um, and it got really weird because and this is a longer story than maybe even wanted uh, but uh, it was the 2004 presidential campaign 
And W. Bush started using the success of the Iraq soccer team in the Olympics in his speeches. And I ended up asking the Iraqi players how they felt about that. And they weren't happy and were very clear about that. And then that became like a real story. And then the W administration came after me saying I was like creating some story that like as if I was like falsifying it, totally random stuff that you never would have expected in the Olympics. Um, and that became a thing. Uh, I've covered the US women over the years when they've won in 96, 2004, 2008, 2012, like in, when they lost in 2016. So I'm accustomed to covering the US women winning the Olympics. Um, I do think it's important to point out, because we haven't mentioned this in this podcast yet, which is that a reigning Women's World Cup champion has never won the Olympic gold medal in the next Olympic tournament, which I think is interesting, right? Oh, no. Don't put that out there. <laughs> now I'm going to have to burn extra sage. I feel like this is all, this is all bad. This is all bad. Let's start over. Everybody collectively manifest a win. We, we can't go down this road. <laughs> I find it fascinating in the sense of it does, it's one of those quirky things like on the men's side, the reigning World Cup champion has gone out in the group stage of the subsequent World Cup. I think it's now five of the last six times, including Germany in 2018. So it, it makes me wonder if there's a psychological aspect to coming in as the favorite, as the world champion, and how hard it is to actually perform then. I feel like that probably is the case for many teams. But when you look at the U.S. women's national team, that's we're, we're used to riding high and while they certainly appreciate any sort of trash talk, because then you get amazing things like the Alex Morgan sipping tea celebrations. Um, I, I don't think that they have as much of an issue with that, but it would also be interesting to see because obviously the Olympics now rescheduled. So due to COVID, if sort of the timing and just the general how everything ended up unfolding will actually impact anything. So I do think on Saturday when the U.S. plays New Zealand, the, the creative goal celebrations from the U.S. aren't going to happen. I think we're going to see angry <laughs> goal Honestly, yeah. Like, we can probably run through a whole, like, repertoire of uh, appropriate, just, like, rage-filled celebrations, and I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. Like, we can get some aggressive flexing, some, some of the De Niro, like, I see you seeing me with the hand gesture. I'm fine with it. Like, let, let's go. I want to get back some of that vitriol that they got for, you know, air quotes, over celebrating the many, many goals that they've scored. Like, let's get that pep back in our step. Like the, the defiant, the, Hey, we are who we are, but like, also let's get back to being who we are. Cause we, we can't, we can't do this. So we will be back on Saturday right after this game against New Zealand, which has a lot more importance now that the U.S. has lost the first game of the Olympics. Christine, thanks so much for joining me. Likewise. Uh, happy to have lots and lots of coffee with you this morning. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank co-host Christine Cupo as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. We'll be back soon with a show on Saturday. We also have one, uh, the usual one's coming on Thursday before that with an interview with someone from the soccer world. See you next time.